progressive ideas, conversations from schools, and the newest concepts in education. This is the School Leadership Podcast. School Transition. There is another way, asserts Dave Harris, the author of Transition, Fostering Better Collaboration Between Primary and Secondary Schools. Now, Dave is an associate of independent thinking and has a proven track record in leadership which takes in the setting up of one of England's all-through schools. Calling for more joined-up thinking between different phases is the effusive cri de coeur sounded by Dave not only in the book but in person when I met him recently at home in Leicestershire. First, we'll hear that conversation and the opinions and reasoning that will no doubt resonate with some school leaders, be that heads of department, year and head teachers. And then afterwards, we'll bring in some analysis from the NEHT. Every single episode as it comes out, just click on subscribe. The back cover of your book calls transition the elephant in the room. What influenced that view? I've worked... um across the ages of education for many years and I see people not wanting to talk about it or assigning that transition is just something you can do in a day in July that it's just passing data the whole point about transition is when you actually understand it you realize it should almost be the heart of everything we do but schools have so many other things on I understand why it's just easy for them to go oh now it's only transition or as an actual fact, if you rethink it, transition, I, I always say transition is really lifelong learning in another name. Transition should be about the progression of our youngest kids into adults that love learning, that enjoy the process, and want to continue doing it for the whole of their lives. And sadly, it's just easier for people to uh, to just think it, think of it something you could do in a day. And the subtitle to transition is fostering better collaboration between primary and secondary schools. Just how far is that actually happening or not? Um, A mixed picture, and it would be very wrong of me to say that it's not happening. There are are some schools that primary and secondary working really well together. I mean, some areas, obviously, it's also, there's also juniors, there's emphasis. So I would say different phases of school are working together in some areas of the of the world however in general they're not um probably 10 years ago i would quite frequently get asked to go and speak at head teacher conferences which were a mix of primary secondary you know infant tertiary increasingly probably pre-pandemic and over the pandemic in general it has just been separate just primary head teacher groups or a secondary head teacher group and whilst that's not everything to me the whole point of transition is relationship and you can't have relationships with people that you don't know and that you don't understand and that you can't laugh with um, and I, I would say a slight positive this more recently um, I have actually started to get a bit more work across some of the multi-academy trusts that are that are multi-phase and certainly in Wales where they brought the new curriculum in I'm starting to see more and more gatherings that are mixed phase. So uh, I've got hope in it, but I think we've got a very long way to go. It's interesting. There you've just alluded to Wales, and also before we began recording, you you brought up, you identified Wales. Is is there a sense, do you think, you know, can you go as far as to say Wales is the kind of the the beacon, the guiding light maybe in this? 
Not at the moment, because I think the I, I think it's very early days. I think the relationships are pretty similar to in England. The difference is that by the Welsh government effectively scrapping the organised central curriculum has told schools they have to f- produce a curriculum that's linked to their community. And when you go back to first principles and actually you're faced with a job of saying, OK, so how do I link the curriculum to the people who live here? You suddenly have to have a strong relationship. So I think what's different in Wales is that suddenly the, they're realising that transition isn't just something you can stick in the corner, that actually it has to be at the heart of everything they do because every skill they want to produce, they've got to think about how that skill develops from the very youngest learner to the to the adults. You you write about belongingness as one of the central planks, I suppose, of, of good, successful transition. What are the factors, would you say, that, that need to be in place to, to help foster that belongingness? Yeah, I mean, if you, those of you who uh, know Maslow's hierarchy of needs, many older people like me were brought up on that when we first learned our, our teaching. It's been proved more recently by neuroscientists to be absolutely true. You cannot have effective learning without belongingness, without love, without safety. You you can't you can't just concentrate on the academic and that's the issue that I've felt in in many uh transition or induction processes that I, that I've seen is that they just focus on the learning levels. They are meaningless unless you have dealt with the safety, the belongingness, the the, the working together. Actually being able to have a laugh together, enjoy together. I, I always say, if you want to destroy transition and relationships, put a group of primary and secondary teachers together from the same subject and get them to talk about levels and moderation. I guarantee you that will be a disaster because the two processes are looked at differently and all you do is build up on old stereotypes. The best thing you can possibly do is to put those groups of teachers together but say, look, we're going to produce a project together. We're going to do, produce a, a project about, about the community. Uh, we're going to have kids from year three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine working together. Can, can we work? What you will find is a group of people who love working with kids, who love learning, who will do a lot of that level stuff by fact, but they, what they won't be doing is sitting in a sterile environment. They'll be getting passionate and excited about relationships. And that's the whole thing. If you do not have a relationship, a good, happy relationship, how on earth can you expect the kids to feel that this is a joined-up journey? The, 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 if this works well, somebody from the primary school can just walk into the secondary school and feel as if they're part of the family, not feel as if they're a visitor. There is um, a very articulate expression, a very passionate expression in the book about what can happen to pupils if those things are not in place and if ultimately the transition isn't successful or poor. How might a teacher be affected professionally? Is is a poor transition something that effectively rubs off on the teacher, that then erodes performance and their own professional confidence, etc.? I'm, I'm sure you're right. For many teachers... They believe whatever stereotype they've got. They often believe, in fact, I think they always believe that they're doing the right thing because very few teachers would ever do something that wasn't, in their view, the best for their kids. But because they don't see the whole journey, they don't realise what they can do. For me, I remember being in the back 
I'm a, I was a science teacher, and I was originally a secondary uh, science teacher before I became head uh, across a, a multi-phase school. So I was observing a lesson of a year eight, sorry, of an eight-year-old kid in science, and I was almost in tears because I suddenly thought, oh, that's what differentiation was. It was in a completely different level to what I'd been doing. Now I can give reasons why, because I understood she knew the teacher knew the pupils better than I knew the number of kids I did, but also they were covering a topic which I usually covered in year eight, and you suddenly realise that actually you're missing so much, it, and it, but but it works both ways. That it also helps for the primary teachers to understand the secondary teachers. Again, understanding, having a laugh, not seeing. Uh, seeing them as competitors but seeing them as part of that same family with that same the development of that child at the heart of everything is there a, a, an erroneous assumption do you think Dave that the move from primary to secondary has to be blind to gender I notice in the book that you explore some of this uh, do you advocate almost two different approaches one for a boys move and one for a girls move and, and could that could that work, do you think? I, no, I, I mean, I'm always nervous on that because I think, again, any generalisations g- simply don't work. Do I think we should have one approach? No. Do I think it should be by boy to girl? Equally, no. I, but I do think we need to stop having a one-size-fits-all for transition because, like any relationship, you wouldn't if you've got two kids of the same gender you in your own home, and you wanted to do something, you don't treat them the same way. If you're trying to persuade the two of them to go to grandma's, you on you know that one child will need it done in a different way to help to, to make the other. So why should it be any different when you talk about a hundred kids having to do that that change? And one of the things I always say to people is to just point out the the stupidity of some of the things we do. I said, just imagine the government um, decided that everybody was going to change to a different family when they were aged 11. You know, imagine they walk down the stairs on their 11th birthday and, uh, you know, at the door, hello, darling, all right, nice, I hope you've had a good night's sleep. Right, OK, can you leave your keys on the on the table, please? Um, your new home is uh, Mr and Mrs Smith, uh, four, four streets down on the left. Hope you have a really good life. Bye. You kind of... We smile because it's stupid, but that's what we do from the way our system's set up and and how can that make sense when we know that learning is utterly linked to how we feel so you can't separate the two and yeah the statistics across the world are pretty damning about the effect how, how transition at very best stalls kids learning and too frequently actually actually is the point at which it never recovers from in your view is there some of this that stems from secondaries not thinking they need to listen to primary school teachers primary school heads and and perhaps even parents but certainly that disconnect a chasm between the two is there a reticence because they believe they can always get it right I mean I'm I'm really careful I don't ever want to kind of go oh it's primary's fault it's secondary's fault what do we do because I am having worked in both I understand the heartbeats and the pushes of both I think your issue is that for many secondary heads 
their day-to-day push is around results. Why? Because someone has told them, someone's out to, to, to remove them from the job if they don't get the percentage in proof they do. So what, what happens is when you, when you make a system that you say you must get X number of value added for, for this, you suddenly start seeing the thing as a, as, a, as a number. You see kids as a number. And that's where we go wrong. The whole point is transition. The kid is not a number. And that's where great transition occurs, when you see the human being. And I could, so therefore, I understand when you've got, you know, particularly a big secondary and you've got 200, 250 kids, it's really difficult not to see them as a number. But that's where the problem goes wrong. And I think if you do look at it and say, okay, how do we add this from this point? There's a temptation. You do forget everything happened underneath. Whereas the reality is when transition happens well, what I see is massive improvements in attainment at secondary and primary. And that's the whole stupid thing about this, is that it's a, it's a win-win situation. If you do transition well across an area, everybody benefits. So why wouldn't we do it? It's just, it, it, you know, when you look at it from a side view, it really does flabbergast you that it's not massive and I just I just hope as time goes on that it will become the norm it's just a long way from the norm at the moment I want to just widen the considerations of, of transition because that's what you do within the book some of the factors you've written about the type of building its decor colorful and, and often pupil generated in primary often more formal commercially produced and exam focused in secondary how would you change that? Indeed, would you change that? Yeah, I mean, one of the activities I suggest groups of teachers did, I did this just earlier th- uh, this, this week at a conference. I, ju- I just say, right, as a group, primary, secondary, infant, whatever, juniors, whatever, meet, walk through your, the school, start at the youngest learner and w- just quickly walk through and have a look at the learning, have a look at the walls, the corridors, have a look at, uh, at everything that you see across the, the system and then try and spot trends and then just comment on the trends now I'm not saying whether they're good or bad the only thing that's important is that you know there is a trend and then have a discussion is that a good trend or not now for me personally I can't see any reason for not having more colour and more, more similar similar things but it, it's, it's, not about, it's not about whether it's a good or bad thing it's about knowing and understanding I knew when I was head of a multi-phase place that it suddenly occurred to me that we called certain parts of learning different things in each phase there was absolutely no reason for that it'd be like your gran calling lunch dinner and you call you know and it's change there's no reason for the difference so what you do is you agree a common language and that idea that that we 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 think about the the journey it's not it's not saying whether it's good or bad i mean a really good example i, I saw a fantastic i used to have a fantastic year six teacher who's doing this amazing work around giving kids choice of spaces to learn. And she found some of the disaffected boys particularly work really well sitting in a tent sort of thing. Great, fine, no problem with that. But then when you realise and you looked at it from the whole school, those kids were then going up into a year seven class where they were expected to sit in lines. Now, the only thing that matters is not I'm not here to say whether the year seven's right or the year six right, but the fact you have a, an abrupt thing without the kids knowing is utterly wrong there's no question about that 
So those year six and year seven teachers need to talk and either to prepare the kids for sitting more in lines or the year seven teacher needs to, to give options occasionally for learning or who maybe meet in the middle like all good compromise and f try and make the process feel more joined up. And that's the key, is that when you prepare kids for things, you should be giving them not stories about what it's going to be like in secondary or whatever, but them for, to feel as if they're on a single journey. And that's what it should be. Learning should not be full of big, massive changes. And when they move into this much larger building with very different decors, we've just illustrated there, and they get to 12, 13, 14 they often see the the kind of peer assessment of work the the co-construction of learning drop away is that something else that yeah. needs to to uh, be remedied i mean in my view yes again but I, we all know that the twitter's full of people who have very strong views on one corner or the other and all i ever say is there is always an, another way so one of the mottos we use at independent thinking we know you don't learn best from a neuroscience view if you are just told we know that being told something is not the most effective way. So actually working in groups and working in other ways has to be a better way. Again, the only important thing is, and I fully, the secondaries will always say, oh yeah, but we've got to get them prepared for the exams. Of course you do, but that doesn't mean you have to suddenly switch and everything has to be one way. Kids' brains are incredibly versatile and able to, to cope and to learn. We need to, again, make it feel as if the whole thing's smoother. But I, I do, I remember going to a school in Spain, uh, and I've, I've seen there's a lot of great all-through schools in Spain, but there are also some which worry me, where I, I, I saw some of the best co-construction of learning, some of the best imaginative teaching I'd seen at reception level. And as I walked through the school, it really hit me that what I was seeing was increasingly didactic and increasingly boring. And what I saw in the, the reflection on the kids' faces was that it wasn't what they wanted. And the fact that they weren't sharing that learning really upset me. And again, it's not about one being better than the other, but it is about surely all those professionals should be talking together about what's the best outcome. And I always, one of the things I used to do was have a picture of my youngest and my oldest kid from a three to 18 school on my wall to remind me in every meeting that my job was not about numbers at key stage four key stage three key stage two it was actually about kids and it was about that incredible change of taking a young blank canvas into a mature adult who can laugh and can cry and can and can be rational and can make decisions and of course get get whatever achievement is best fitted for them and while it's not easy, I, I always think one of the things I used to say when I ran an all-through was, do we want to be a secondary school that opens its doors to kids of three, or do we want to be a primary school that keeps its kids to age 18? Now, in a system where we had a perfect uh, co connection, those two things would be the same. The fact that we don't, and we, in our heads, recognise two different scenarios there helps us realise that there is perhaps more we can do. And I think, you know, so a number of schools are trying to run a more primary curriculum at year seven, year eight, or at whenever whichever change we're, we're, we're talking about. There are things that can be done, and it isn't about everything 
suddenly being one and I think this is the problem on things like Twitter we get into these silly is it this is it that arguments whereas actually usually both sides have got an element of truth about them and it's like most of the learning philosophies that go on the only important thing is that you talk about it and the only the only stupid thing is if a kid of age 11 is suddenly given two very different experiences pertaining to do the same thing without any support or explanation as to why that's happening and that sadly is happening too often yes twitter isn't always full of nuance <laughs> and reason is it no, no, no sadly not, <laughs> not particularly. um as we come to the end of the conversation dave the, the the podcast is obviously chiefly heard by teachers um of course parents and guardians have an essential role a vital role in this sort of educational firmament shall we say but um going back to the book the uh, the star study you you quote says um parental expressions of warmth and affection have a long-term influence on how self-controlled children are which in turn affects how well they do in secondary school both in academic and behavioral spheres so should parents be brought more into the transition process than they are currently what what could that look like oh, I, I, I mean i would just say relationships that it's really sad when i see parents not wanting to go to 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 the to the secondary school and i understand why often it's they've got past histories they've got their own in their heads their own associations i know some secondary heads who are doing amazing jobs trying to get parents in and then going but they don't want to come but I think the reality is you've got to make this much earlier if you get great transition you can almost do it seamlessly you know where primary schools and secondary schools are working well together the parents will be visiting from when the kids are year four year five imagine if you've if you've been going to the secondary since your year four child has been doing projects and various things and you've been going up there and everything then you won't be such a it won't be such a a, a difficult thing when as a as a 15 year old you're asked because you know the building you know the place and that whole thing about a relationship and that's why the the concept of community and transition go really nicely together is that we we should be we should be encouraging parents and communities to have a relationship with their children's schooling not with their school that concept that this is a journey for life that back to again where we started this that another name for transition is lifelong learning and it's it's that process it's the it's what happens from reception to uh to when you're an adult it is not that little thing that you do in the summer to ha- to encourage kids uh, and you because i have met some schools have said oh we've got a great transition and when i talk to them it turns out they're talking about the a day in early july that's not transition that's induction very important process but that's the process of getting the pupils used to a new building and a new way of doing it transition is the relationship and the families should of course be involved in it and relationships don't happen overnight and it's built on trust it's built on values it's built on what we're trying to do primaries and secondaries should be really overt about what their point is why are they doing this what are we encouraging and if if primary and secondary have the same aim if they both say we want our young person to uh, to, to at the end of their journey through both our schools 
we want them to be passionate we want them to be to love learning and we want them to be empathetic just say for example if that if you've got a primary and secondary saying that together wow because the parents go okay they're in it together and then the transition is merely that the development of say for example empathy is looking at the development of empathy from a reception kid to an adult whereas at the moment it's too often seen as completely separate things and we're kind of handing to completely set different ways so you know the transition is is as david hargreaves once said the single biggest issue in education that we haven't solved uh yet and i just hope that things like this conversation just gets people thinking not blaming each other wanting a relationship and that's all i'd encourage any of you to do is if you're primary don't make assumptions about secondary just work at it and keep working at it and persist and pester just focus on the relationship and the same for secondary reach out and please if you're a head teacher don't just give it to somebody else to do do it yourself be there have a laugh i know you everybody's busy but the strong relationship between the leaders of primary and secondary is the biggest gift i think we can give kids let's end then dave on an extension of that optimistic note you must have spoken to many many 16 and 18 year olds that have had successful transitions that that lifelong learning as, as you rightly called it uh, has been a good a positive experience for them what sort of things would what are you heartened by that, that they've said to you over time? I'm heartened when kids tell me that they felt valued and when they talk about people. When you actually ask a kid to tell you about some memorable thing from their learning, it is never, oh, I remember sitting doing a, a, a test on a Friday afternoon. Of course it's not. It's doing practical interesting things but actually loving learning and I'm always you know I've had conversations with some really uh, you know lovely kids who talk about the work they've done maybe mixed cross phases I think we've got so used to when you're 11 you learn this when you're 15 you learn this when you actually put kids together of different ages it's amazing and I've seen some wonderful projects some wonderful young people i've seen i've seen an 18 year old a 14 year old and a nine year old working together learning together each one of them benefiting and that's i I think it'll be interesting someone comes on this podcast looks back on it 50 years time maybe that will be more assumed maybe this rather antiquated view that kids go up year by year might be something that we we break away from great learning doesn't have an age limit on it you're with the school leadership podcast from naht i'd like to introduce two guests now into the transition debate one you know is a regular host of the podcast and one who is new to it i'm happy to be joined by james bowen and sarah hannafin let's start with this dave in that conversation raises the point that school transition is and he uses the phrase the elephant in the room I mean, how far do you think this is true in the profession and what's what's the most effective way to stimulate dialogue around that i'm not sure i'd go quite as far as dave's done there in describing it as the elephant in the room um, I, I know what he's getting at um but what i'd say is you know speaking to to school leaders and to nht members we hear about a lot of 
brilliant work, excellent work that schools do around the issue of transition. But of course, like like, like anything, actually, um, we need to think about how we can make it even better. Uh, and, and I think it's right we're having that conversation. Um, and what I would say, and I think where Dave certainly does have a, has a really strong point, is um, that there's so many competing priorities in schools. Uh, so, you know, getting transition as good as you'd like is difficult when you've got so many things you're juggling. Uh, and I think that's particularly the case when you think about like primary to secondary transition. You know, my recollection is that it's that year six and I was a year six teacher for three or four years that's one of the busiest years in a primary school of course you're dealing with things like sats although you might wish you're not but that's put, puts huge pressure on you in terms of time so it's a busy year already and I think you know Dave's right trying to fit in those conversations around transition and, and spending as much time as you want on transition is really really difficult um, in terms of how we go about stimulating that dialogue I'm a huge believer in the sort of the power of sharing good practice. Um, I, I think, you know, schools are really good at well, you know, magpieing ideas. So I think the more we talk about really good practice, the more we get schools talking about things they're doing around transition that work really well. I think the more other people will think, actually, I could do something similar. Or I could adapt that and, and do that in my school. So I think the more we can shine a spotlight and draw example to the really good practice, hopefully that'll, that'll sort of get others to to do similar things in their schools. Sarah, I'd like to, to bring you in on this, uh, if I may. What do you hear from NHT members themselves about transition? What, what kind of things are being said, have been said? Members from both primary and secondary raise questions and concerns and, and sort of put transition on the table, if you like. Um, and that's been the case since I started at NHT. I think it's they they just recognise how crucial it is and how important the collaboration is. They often talk about how to improve collaboration between primary and secondary schools. The other thing is that the conversations cover two, the two key issues, which is the pastoral transition and the academic transition. So they talk a lot about the practice they use to make sure that pastoral information is shared so all of that information that primary school teachers know about their children and the families and their context and their friendships all of that is passed on effectively to the secondary schools so that things aren't missed um, and any support can be continued and there's lots of discussion about academic transition and, and particularly around I think I'm you know, the key stage two SATS data and how useful it actually is. So primary schools, primary members talk a lot about the fact they don't feel it's useful for secondary schools, that secondary schools don't necessarily use it and that secondary mm. schools do their own testing, CATS tests, those sorts of things. And actually what everybody wants is a bit more, a bit more detailed data about what children, what areas children are good at, where they need support. And that those SAT scores, you know, they form the basis of key stage four performance data. So they do have significance. That question of what data is actually useful to support children in their teaching and learning as they move to secondary is a really big question. When you listen to the results of that conversation, Dave seems to be very much of the opinion that there's an absence of clarity between what is transition and what is induction. Do either of you think that that's where some of the problem lies? 
it's a really interesting point actually and and it's one that I probably hadn't thought about too much in until sort of thinking about what Dave had said around it and I, th I suppose what I think what's really important is we're very clear about the difference between the two things and draw the distinction because I suppose both are important in their own way but there is a fundamental difference in that when we're talking about induction that's something that's done by the receiving school um, and it tends to happen once the pupils have already made the move so it might be once the children are there in year seven or in the lead up you know close towards it that's induction I, I think the, the key for me the difference with transition it's much more about partnership um, Sarah talked there about collaboration and I think that's that's the key difference here when we talk about transition we're talking about partnership we're talking about collaboration between all the different schools involved. Um, in a sense, transition is harder because you're dealing with different sets of staff, different schools, different procedures, different expectations. I remember, you know, working with secondary school staff and at the start of the conversation, it felt like we were inhabiting really quite different worlds. You realise the more you speak, you're not. But, but bringing together different staff, different schools, that's more challenging um, than, than sort of just a simple induction, which can just be done by one school. But I think for me, it's the transition part that's the key. If we get that right and it is genuinely collaborative and you get both sides, you know, both the primary and the secondary or if it's infant to junior, yeah, playing that equal part in having those conversations. I, I, yeah, for me, transition is absolutely the crucial part. And I think that's where you can make the the, the real sort of key difference because you can draw on the expertise of everybody involved. And it seems clear from what you're saying, James, that, you know, it might be a, a pedestrian point to make a, from my point of view, but that communication is key, that when you start to have those conversations, those dialogues, that actually there is more in common and more of a, you know, a unified way forward. That, I mean, in terms of, uh, both of your NAHT positions, I, I would guess that you've both heard things anecdotally about what makes great uh, transitions. Uh, have you got any examples? Uh, so I'm, I'm quite happy to kick off on that. I mean, I think the first thing I'd say, I know it's a bit of a cliche, but I think it does depend a bit on the context. Um, it depends on the age of the pupils, because don't forget, you know, obviously a lot of transition we talk about transition from primary to secondary, but transition from an early year setting to a primary or an infant school, that's transition. In fact, transition from one year group to the next is transition. Um, so, you know, although the focus does tend to be on that, that big jump from primary to secondary, transition is happening all the time. And I think we, we shouldn't lose sight of that. Um, so it does depend on the contacts. That being said, I suppose we probably can look for certain sort of features of good transition that, that tend to be pretty universal. So, things like you know just simple things like making sure we're listening to the pupils themselves mm -hmm. to find out what would help them particularly those who have who have been through the transition from one year group to another or one school to another and after the event saying what worked and what would have made it even better i think lots of schools do that but but not forgetting that um you know another feature would be making sure we don't see transition as a sort of series of isolated events but it's a process um and arguably, you know, some of the best schools, I think, I've worked with who, who've got transition really, you know, are really on top of it. Don't even start thinking about transition when children are in year six. They'll be thinking about it when children are in year five, mm. even younger, and sort of starting to build up gradually. I mean, that doesn't mean they're spending huge amounts of time in every year group, but just thinking about it as that sort of long-term process. And then 
I suppose the final thing I would point to, and I'm going to shamelessly draw on my own experience here, but something we did when I was still in school, and I I still think it was one of the, the better features of our transition process, and, and we certainly didn't have it all sorted, but something that worked quite well, and I think lots of schools do, is we made sure that we identified any pupils that we thought would find transition particularly difficult. Mm. So that might be children who we already knew to be vulnerable or children with additional needs, but not always. Sometimes it was just a child and you just had that feeling, I think this child's going to find transition difficult for, for various reasons. And we'd build in additional support and make sure they had additional transition activities. So things like additional visits to the secondary school, before the main transition days. So they'd already had a sort of a taster and it, they weren't going up with the large year group. Um, extra time with their new tutors or, or even the secondary teachers coming down and spending time getting to know them in the primary school. But I think identifying children who you know are gonna find it a bit harder and doing some additional stuff around there might, for me, that that made a, a, a big difference. I mean, obviously Sarah came at it from a secondary perspective, so she might have a, a have different sort of examples to give. But that for me, that was something that always worked well. I, I'm sort of thinking about that primary to secondary transition. And I think one of the things I'd add into the mix in terms of making things very different is the number of feeder schools that a secondary school has. Um, I know there's some secondary schools with a very small number of feeder schools, and I think that that means things can be, perhaps be done a little differently to a school that's got a huge number. So, so the last school that I was working in, uh, we had almost 40 feeder schools, um, and obviously building a transition program with 40 feeder schools looks very different mm. to, to building one with only sort of four or five. So I think you know that's difficult and and one of the most difficult things is finding the staff resources um to go out and to meet those children in their own primary schools and teach talk to their um teachers we were a few of the things we did which you know i i think helped we were able to um identify a teaching assistant whose whose focus was uh, year seven transition um, and and that as Jane said wasn't just about year six to seven it was making relationships with feeder schools and meeting children perhaps in year five who were going to be coming up to the school who needed a bit more time um, and in James's, James's point about those children who are particularly vulnerable and maybe need additional support and additional um visits to the school we we also realized in a with our 40 feeder schools that in many of those schools it would only be one or two children um coming up to our school mm. and actually that made it challenging you know to, to come on your own from a feeder school um is could be quite scary um and we we encouraged those children to come for additional visits to meet other children in the same circumstance to build friendships build their confidence before you know that big year mm. six induction day um in july and and those worked really well for those children as well and, and sarah running as dave puts it a more um primary curriculum for year seven and possibly even eight can we say that's a desirable thing and if so why i think it's not necessarily the the content of the curriculum that's an issue i think all children 
all children will have made different progress across subjects in primary school. You know, teachers in the secondary school have to get to know them to understand what those children know and develop their learning. Um, and I think it's important to recognise, you know, lots of children thrive with new ways of learning at secondary, more specialist equipment, different, you know, different information, different curriculum. Um, some schools do have a more integrated approach to some subjects and they find it works well. Um, for example, particularly humanities, for example, where one teacher teaches across the humanities and the pupils spend more time with one teacher. From my experience, a lot of what pupils struggle with is the is the complete change mm. in environment and delivery and logistics more necessarily than the content. So moving from room to room four or five or even six times a day, you know, the busy corridors, different teachers in every subject, mm. some of whom they'll really like and others not so much. Um, you know, remembering all of their books and all of their equipment, those those things, I think, contribute more to some of the issues and the struggles and the difficulties that children have when they move to secondary school. Um, and there are, you know, some schools do have more um, nurture groups. So it might be for the whole of year seven or eight, or it might be for identified children in year seven who perhaps the primary schools identified as you know, needing additional support in terms of moving to, to secondary school. We had some of those and that idea that you recreate a little bit more of the primary environment within a secondary school. So perhaps a form tutor who also teaches those children for a lot of their subjects that specialist teachers might go to their classroom to reduce the amount of traveling around the school those those children do but then they go to for example things like science or art or design technology and they can start getting used to moving around the school and, and use the specialist equipment just to build things a little bit slower for me I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all you know I think the key focus is you know looking at the needs looking at the challenges and trying to make sure that all those transition arrangements have got some flexibility to adapt to the cohort. You know, no cohort of children is the same. So there needs to be some sort of flexibility and adaptability in there to respond to the actual children that are um, joining your school. It is undoubtedly a, a big and daunting move for, for many, if not all. And there is widespread agreement. I think it's fair to say that great, you know, good, solid transition needs all parties to collaborate effectively. James, you know, really, you touched on that almost at the start of the conversation. And we've talked a lot about the teacher's role, but what parents, let's bring parents into this right here at the end and con conclude with this. What should be expected of them when it comes to transition? So I think you're right when you say it sort of feels big and daunting. And if I take off my my NHT professional hat for for a moment, mm -hmm. I'm a parent. My child, my eldest, is currently in year four, and already we're starting to think we're starting to have those kind of not quite worries. We're thinking about wow, transition and how huge a moment that's going to feel for all of us. You know, at the moment he feels so young to us the idea that he could suddenly go off to a big secondary school frankly is really scary mm. um, I'm sure that will, will change slightly in the next two years but I think we do have to recognize for, for parents and families and children it, it, it is a significant step that that primary to secondary um, and and most primary and secondaries do operate quite quite differently uh, in terms of what 
parents can do. I think there's some some sort of straightforward standard things uh, that most parents will do. You know, for example, secondary schools usually have open mornings or open evenings, an opportunity to to go with your child to visit the school or, or various schools if you're making a choice to get that kind of feel for what it's like to talk about it, you know, to be able to then come home and talk about how they found it, talk about what might be the same, what might be different. Um, I think other things like just as a parent, making sure you've familiarized yourself um, with the different routines and expectations and policies. You know, Sarah talked there about, you know, children and uh, well, pupil, young, young people at that age having to sort of remember books and different bits of equipment. Whereas in, in most primary schools, there isn't a lot mm. of that. Um, and over time, yes, of course, I think you'd want you'd want pupils to take responsibility for that themselves. But I, I'd imagine that's a process. And I think if as a parent, you familiarise yourself with what the what pupils need and when and, and those different routines, you're probably helping to give them the best chance of success because you're giving them that support. And as time goes on, they will hopefully take that on independently. Um, I think the other thing is, you know, as with all these things, you just want parents to be willing and open to have those conversations with their children about how they're feeling, to, to kind of talk about any concerns they might have. And as tempting as it is sometimes to say, oh, don't worry, it's all going to be OK. And we all do that with good intentions. It's important we don't dismiss those worries and we say, well, why are you worried about that? Tell me what what, what is it you're thinking could happen mm. and helping them talk them through uh, as much as we want to reassure uh, our children, actually giving them space to talk about their concerns and not dismissing them is really important. And, and I suppose finally on that is when, as a parent, you start picking up on worries that you think go beyond the normal kind of mm. level of worry, then you do need to having a conversation with probably initially uh the, the school your your child is currently at and raising the point and saying look I, I there's a there's an added level of anxiety here is there anything you can do to help we talked about earlier about some of the additional things schools do that that may be appropriate um as i say you know there is i think there's not going to be many children in this world who who have no concerns mm -hmm. or aren't worried about it at all but it's that kind of just gauging is this just normal concerns that probably aren't going to impact on them too much day to day if they're beginning to lose sleep or really worrying about it then actually it's, a, it's an opportunity to have a, ch a chat with a school and see what else can be done thank you both and thanks to dave harris educational consultant and presenter his other books you might like to know include leadership's dialogues one and two brave heads and are you dropping the baton Thank you, as always, for listening to the School Leadership Podcast. All future episodes from us can easily be yours. You can access them by subscribing from wherever it is you get your podcast. We're always keen to hear what you have to say about the podcast too. Give us some feedback, write a review. That'd be fantastic. If you're able to make a few minutes to write an online review from the place you get them, then that would be much appreciated. NAHT is a professional association and union for school leaders. To discover more about the benefits of being an NAHT member, go online to naht.org.uk forward slash join. And you can follow us on Twitter. Our handle there is at NAHT News. For regular and useful content on the teaching profession, it has to be the School Leadership Podcast. The school Leadership Podcast. The school Leadership Podcast. The school Leadership Podcast.